HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hello. I'm Hi. so happy to be talking to you from across the pond. I know. London town coming at you. London calling? <laughs> it is London calling. Good one, Darren. Thank you. We were lucky enough to get into this industry at a relatively younger and early part of our career. Yeah. And our guest today, Cliff Endo, what's so interesting about his journey into food TV is about how he didn't come to it early. He came to it a bit later. Yeah. And he came to it after he had done a few other jobs, a few other careers. Including in entertainment. Yeah. Including in entertainment. So he he got a taste of this world and he took a hard look at it. I believe yeah. he's like, I'm only going to do stuff that I really care about. Now, the path he shares with us is not as straightforward as just deciding one day like, oh, I'm going to be doing only what I want to do. And then one day I'll be running uh digital content over at Vice, but the intention and the, the having the idea of that career is really inspiring. Yeah, he's somebody who's had quite a storied path, um, a really charming, charismatic person, just someone who has such a great energy that even when I met him many, many years ago, had no idea the various twists and turns that he took to get here. Mm. He is now the vice president of content at Vice Media. But prior to this, he was hosting things for Vox and Eater. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, he was culinary producing and any sort of culinary role, to be honest, on many, many Food Network projects. As everybody will come to learn, prior to that was an actor and a graffiti artist and <laughs> did producing at an ad agency and worked at a restaurant. I think a lot of people think that you come into entertainment because that's what you want. It's so hard to break in that people just start there and they work at it and they break in, but there are a million tiny paths underneath all these successes. I think what we're all starting to learn is that it is an ebb and flow. There yes. is no producer that you talk to who has this just, it's always up. It's always a straight line. It's always, oh, you know, the next project. Because in this field, it can the phone could be dry. And then like one day out of nowhere, yes. you want to do this. Yes. Uh, we need someone. Um, you know, that was one of my last projects was just like, hey, we need someone. And I went, I can be that someone. I'm free right now. Which is important to say, I can be that someone because as we all say many times, there is no straight path. And you just have to say, can I walk through this door? Mm. (laughs) This door that opened in front of me, do I have what it takes to walk through it and stay in that room? And I think that's a lot of how this happens. And you figure out what skill set of yours can translate, whether you've done it or not. And then you also need people in your corner who you can call. I do want to ask you, because I know that we are going to ask Cliff, about the shift from just producing to becoming a representative of a network, what that was mm-hmm. like for you. You know, the head of programming will, will say, we need this type of show. We need, we're looking for this. Um, this is what our, our advertisers are responding to. This is what the data is showing. You know, hey, we have all these, these different metrics and these different data points. Um, let's try and get a programming. Let's try and get a show like this. You know, we're launching a travel channel. Oh, you know, we're getting into crime now. Like, oh, like we, we have found that food plus puppets plus gardening 
not surprised. Is what everyone's going after on TikTok? Is there a thirty-minute version of of that trend that we can hit? Um, so you know, the programming team is looking for the dev team to come up with ideas, and then the dev team is developing the ideas, and the development team is then working with production and the network to to create it. So it's it's a really good ecosystem, and when the ecosystem is working, it's a really great process because you're getting good data points. You're like, okay, this worked. What we're going to hear from Clifford is how, as a creator, as a writer, as somebody who's looking to pitch, as somebody who's looking to dev, how you could find these holes, how you can pay attention and see where these holes are so you can give something different, so you can give something that the network needs, that the viewers need and don't even know they need, while still adding a through line of comfort and accessibility and that sort of same but different, you know? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. And dev work development. Is something that you've done a lot of. Yeah, I mean, you know, being on the network side uh, is really great. You know, I think it's a really interesting time in the food and unscripted space of just what people are looking for. Um, and the great thing about someone like Cliff and what he has access to is that he gets to look at all the trends that are swirling in the Vice ecosystem. And he gets to pull maybe from social because he sees a trend working there, or he gets to pull from the music site because it's working there, or he gets to pull from the the news site because he saw a great story, and then he gets to filter that through his own needs and push that out in a new format. And having access to all those different data points and all those different creative inputs, absolutely, he's lucky to have. But I think also if you really want development, you need to as well. Even if you just work in, let's just say, food. You should be reading lots of things that don't have to do with food, mm-hmm. because the shows that are are, are that are going to go now are food and yes, food is the doorway, as we all know. Like, food is the place where you come to meet, where you come to gather, where you come to talk, where you come to commune. It's not just the recipe anymore. Yeah. All right. So look, let's uh, let's get Clifford in the mix. Are you ready to chat with Clifford? Yes. Let's add his name to the culinary call sheet. You love that. I don't know. We need something. Okay. <laughs> I'm keeping that in. Hi, Cliff. Hi, April. It's so good to have you. Thank you. Thank you for asking me to come here. You and I have worked together off and on for, I don't know, probably a decade? Yes. Oh, my God. A long time. A long time. I met you as a culinary producer, and you did a lot of recipe development for series. I think, I, was- I think you actually met me even beyond that. Like you, I you've always kind of been like the head honcho on sets. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. that's I, how I've known April. Always head honcho. <laughs> always. You're always kind of running the show, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's just your personality that you may have thought of as. I think I was like, I started off as like prepping or like washing dishes I think is where I first I moved up as the really went, but I think in the beginning I was like lowest person on the totem pole my gosh but that's just a testament to who you are there's no clear path no so why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in culinary media I've been in and out of a restaurant since I was like 14 mm. I've always had an appreciation for it but like it wasn't the path because I have like immigrant parents and they're like you can be any kind of lawyer you want to be <laughs> sure you know <laughs> here's your one or two choices yeah you can be any kind of doctor you be you can run exactly so many businesses and then like i dropped out of mba school got a theater degree i'm sure they love that loved it great day in the family both my parents are academics begrudgingly supportive but like begrudgingly <laughs> i was in new york and I was like trying to do the theater thing. It just wasn't like, I just wasn't my bag. Like I, you know, I had an agent and I was working and I was just like, you know what? Like, I, I don't, I don't really like, I'm not digging this acting thing. Like it's not, mm. it's not for me. And I did some film TV stuff, but I always kind of like, it seemed like the creativity and the real shot calling was happening not on this side of the camera, but on that. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. And I was like, yeah. what? Like, what is all that stuff? And I like, I like figuring out puzzles and the way to do things. Then it took a big turn. I got hired onto um, an advertising agency. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, this advertising thing is kind of cool. You get to think of like ideas and how to execute them. And it was like fun. And I started producing without really knowing I was producing. Right. Mm, Making stuff happen. And I was like, whoa, like this lifestyle is like high energy, completely addictive. 
the adrenaline runs. I love this. Company bottoms out. Mm. They let go of all their creative staff. And I'm like sitting there. I'm like, I don't know what I need to do with my life. I was watching a lot of culinary shows. I was watching the Bourdain Cooks Tour thing. And, sure, sure. And I was like, I'm only going to do stuff that, I'm, that makes me happy. And that's it. Go to culinary school because I'm obsessed with this. And I heard about this guy named Dave Arnold who was at French Culinary Institute. Yeah. It's like, who's mm-hmm. there? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to knock on his door every day, which I did. And the only reason why I got in with him is because one day he needed help moving boxes. And I was like, That's sure, how you do it. move boxes for him. Get in how you can. Kept showing up. What year was this? This was like 08, okay. maybe, down there. Mm-hmm. I was also just like already like – kind of old to be starting out as a line cook. Like it's, it's a young man's game, young woman's game, young person's game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The wear and tear. But I also missed that production element. And I went back to culinary school and the career advisor was like, well, we have this internship at Food Network. And I was like, hmm. I was like, I've been a director at an ad agency. Like the internship is like not really my deal right now. Like mm-hmm. I'm still consulting for companies and that. But I really, I felt like this was my lane. Like I really felt something like this is the thing that I need to do. So I was like, okay, they're like internships for six months. I was like, I'll give you four. <laughs> I don't know who, <laughs> who I thought I was. <laughs> yeah. For shooting an internship. And it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah. I need like, weekends. Please. Here's my writer. <laughs> yeah. And I got hired as an intern. So I did a bunch of interviews as for the culinary producing department. Found some amazing people like Daniel Strange. Shout out to Daniel. Fucking believed in me. Yeah. And gave me every opportunity. Dave Meckowitz too. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Culinary producing job for tra- Travel Channel. I just showed up and I was like, I'm just going to work my fucking ass off. I'm going to keep my head down and work my way up. It was like beat Bobby Flay season one. I was the shopper mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then ended up running the whole goddamn thing on the culinary side. I was just like, I am just going to put in the work. What was your end goal? I wanted to, to make food TV stuff and food show and develop them and be really good because I found out the most satisfying thing I could do was like come up with the show. That was the mm-hmm. thing that excited me the most. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just like, I had to leave and and do that. And I jumped into digital for Vox and for Eater running development Um I was doing development for TV and then found my way to Vice. Vice I've always been a fan of. And when they called, I picked up the phone. (laughs) (laughs) That's the most important part. Yeah. Going back a little bit, sometimes it's easy to look at a a Beat Bobby Flay or a Healthy Appetite or Kelsey's Essentials and be like, oh, the the chef just comes up with a show idea and that's it. When did you become aware that there were producers and developers making cooking shows. I mean, you realize it day one, you're on your first set. I think, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, once you see the communication lines happening, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Sure. It's also kind of cool when you're like young and then, and you see like the person in the booth and then <laughs> like, the monitors in front of them. Like, you don't really know what's going on, but you're like, that's rad. Like, yeah. they have, like, the Death Star in front of them. And it's yeah. like, <laughs> then you figure out what they kind of do. And it's just like, oh, like, there's a lot of fast thinking. Yeah. Your talent, whoever that chef is, the problems probably should be solved before it gets to yeah. them. Yeah. So I'm actually, like, really more interested in the process than the results. So as soon as I started seeing that and the creative calls that someone gets to make, mm. I was on this crazy pilot that shall not be named <laughs> we all have those we all have them oh my god we all have so much them. stuff that you leave off your resume and be like no. but sorry i was working on this pilot that shall not be named and it how do i say this it needed some creative guidance that was a little bit out of my realm of just producing it on the culinary side so i helped help really actually make the show sure sure right and I was just like, I was like, wow, this is really great. And and I just took my moment right there. Mm. The owner of the company stopped by and was like, hey, thank you for all of this. And I was like, hey, are you looking for more of this stuff? And it was like, I have ideas. And I was like, listen, like, you don't have to pay me. I have two months off right now between gigs. Can I just come and develop stuff for you and work with the development team? And you only have to pay me if the, if the show gets sold. Hmm. And so I did it. And I fucking went to that office. I showed up. And I started developing stuff with that team 
I didn't have development experience. They did not know that. <laughs> but like, I was like stealing every bit of language from them, every bit of vocabulary from them, taking the trade. They were telling me about stuff and I would just sit there and I would crank and I'd mm. crank it and I crank format after format and I'd learn something every time just keep doing and doing and doing and doing it yeah um, and that's how it started it was taking that moment where I had a really big win and using it to turn it into something else you know as you have leveled up through your career like how much of it would you say to someone that they really need to know or how much can they sort of just figure it out yeah I think even with that development thing like I always approached it with transparency that is rare these days. Mm. Listen, like, mm -hmm. I don't know this much. Here's what I can do. And I'm very blatant about my skill set, right? Mm. And literally just opening yourself up like that. I want to learn about this. Here's what I'm willing to give. I will sit here and show up and do this work for you if you let me ride the coattails. And I was in board meetings with executives on my first pitch within like a month. Mm. you should take that path of learning along the way. But like some of that is trading whatever you have to get something out of someone else and being very transparent. There's no class for what we're doing. No, no. Like this isn't fucking accounting, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just like being a good producer is about, and is about learning the best part of yourself to bring out the best in other people. And understanding who you are as a person in production you're going to use all those skills yes you don't think you are but like you should be gathering every tool that will make you good at this thing and the greatest producing trick i've ever learned is steal everything can you define not, not like the stationary or the yes 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 like yes. Steal every method, every way out, every fucking producer magic trick. Because, like, you know, like, I feel like if someone's teaching a class about producing, like, I don't know. Maybe, I just feel like good producing is just being the culmination of everyone you've ever worked mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. And literally just, like, opening yourself up like that and just being like, I want to learn about this. Here's what I'm willing to give. Yes. And that my give on that was I will sit here and show up and do this work for you if you let me ride the coattails and I was in board meetings with executives I, I just worked my way up and I just like being a person who gets to make a show is like that's like such a gift yeah you know what I mean rarefied air like it still blows my mind to this day that like you can literally think of something and then it's on a screen for like a million people to watch like that's fucking mind-blowing yes. yeah like I'm still like in shock about that to this day like that same the magnitude of that never gets lost on me it makes me really bashful it keeps you super honest about stuff yeah i think once you lose that appreciation that something can get out of your brain and into the world and become a reality if you get jaded on that then it's time to to pack up and to go somewhere else to a different industry i think so too and i think that it's like bashful is a very kind word too it's just like it also makes you very real about like how you manifest your, this is going to be a weird turn, but I really believe in this. It's like, for me, it's just like that whole scariness to and being in awe of it is also just like, it's actually a healthy redirection of self-doubt for mm. me personally. Yeah. Like I think everyone battles with self-doubt and there's like three results out of that. You quit, which is the easiest way. Sure. You become super fucking toxic, <laughs> you know I mean? yeah. which we've all seen. Or you learn how to use that to keep you super honest, down to earth, open, and to also like punch holes in everything that you do to try to make it perfect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's the one where it actually like self-doubt can actually make you better. Yeah. Like I love blatant honesty where someone's just like, Hey, I don't know this. Like, I'd really like to learn because I think you're expected to know a lot of stuff. Yeah. Agreed. Well, there's immediate trust too. Whereas if you hire somebody who says they can do it and you're finding out in a low level way that they really don't know what they're doing, yeah. you immediately are on edge <laughs> and you're like, well, yeah. like what else don't I know about this person? No, because you just like, I have to do this. Right. For me, this job is nothing if it's not for the people around you. Mm -hmm. Like I want to hear from them. I want to know what's going on. And I also want to be able to 
jump in and bridge however I can so that we as a team can get through and have like a beautiful product. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that like someone's saying that they don't know, but they'll show up and they'll, they'll keep doing it until they figure it out. They really want to learn it. That's like, how can you not want to invest time in that person? So as you started to shift out of production and more into development and then onto the network side, what sort of mental shift or approach did you have to make personally? You're no longer on a one lane highway. Mm. Like you're on an LA freeway. Mm-hmm. And you have to be aware of every single car that is occupying every single lane around you. Every position that you move up, you're adding another lane on the highway that you have to be aware of. Mm. Right. And I think development's another thing. It's just like, it's not just about having an idea, right? Like that's what you think it is. And then as development goes, you're like, no, ideas aren't really that great. It's only becomes real <laughs> creative when it can work, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The shift that you have to make, I think that's most beneficial is like being able to have an idea, then being able to put it through the box of like, does it work? Do a format. What kind of format is it? What does it achieve? Mm-hmm. And forces you to do a lot more research, right? Like what else is out there that's similar? Yeah. But it also forces you to like, I think, rely on other people to really punch holes in it. Yeah. yeah. And just be like, can you take a look at this? Can you feel this out? Can you let me know? And I think it's just like, <laughs> I think when you're in development, you also get more notes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's better in the front end. Yeah. 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 Better like, than when you're in production, you're like, oh, uh, act three is not working. Yeah, yeah. And the camera guys are here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the production notes are all like, I mean, Jesus, what a minefield. Make it bigger. Oh, I absolutely. Could you make it like pop a little bit more? Absolutely. Wow. What, what, what is that? What do you want pop wise? Yeah. Like you're saying, if you're developing an idea, really think about how this edits down. Like, sure, this is a beautiful, massive scene. How do I get it into five minutes and have it make sense? Like, what is the format of this series? But every time I hire a producer, I I definitely lean towards people who have been in post and edit because, yes, that is a special hell that we all deserve to experience to be better. So much, especially in the digital space, is data-driven. Like, to the second, you can see retention, you can see drop-off, you can see engagement. Um, And it's good to have that data. I think it's it's better to have that data than living in a world of completely guessing in the dark. But how do you balance looking at the data trusting the data, and then also saying, I need to try something different to create something that's going to break through, to create something that feels fresh. People are using it left and right, and it's all over the place, and data's worth its weight in gold. But I think that, like, it has to lift up the creative because, like, the one thing that always wins is connectivity. Yeah. Right? That's, like, it's the difference between being seen and being remembered. And I will choose being remembered all any day of the week. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you can't lose that connectivity and that to an audience member because the thing is is no matter what we do in this industry, we're in the service industry. Hmm. And we're we're here I I I know I have a different view than a lot of people with this, but I'm here to like serve an audience, right? Mm-hmm. I agree. My role here is just to like serve our audience in the best way possible with the highest quality work that we can get possible with, with, with stuff that is, that is going to incite curiosity and wonder and, and engagement from them on all different levels. And I think that like data helps me hone that in, Mm. but it'll never overtake the moment that I need to like find the humanity in what you're doing and find that moment of connectivity. Yeah. But you don't want to just be like, I'm just trying to produce for what I think people might want. How do you find that balance of when you're creating shows that feel unique to you as a person and as a producer and as a creator, but also are hitting what a network might be looking for? I mean, what a network might be looking for is, is, is a conundrum. Um, but I think I always, I, I do this thing where I talk with people who are developing stuff. So KRS-One, um, the old rapper, this is started. This idea started there. He's like, a measure of intelligence is is about being able to take the most complex idea and breaking it down to a point where anyone can understand it. Yeah. 
And I think that a good show can take a complex idea or something that you really like or you're that, but your job as the development person, as executive as that, is to make sure that whoever watches it is going to get it, mm. yeah. right? That's the that's kind of the magic is where you can do it. If you're looking for an overall thing to hit, like to hit, like make sure that it's digestible. And this is not saying like you only have to do safe things, you don't have to do this thing, but sometimes it's just about a line mm. of clarity. Somebody, yeah. The hardest part for a lot of people is realizing that when you've been in the idea for so long, or you've been in the edit for so long, you've been in the producer for so long, that the context for what you're doing gets lost and it becomes assumed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Always need to be able to provide the context for what you're doing. If you cannot take your pitch down to one sentence, then you should probably work on it a little bit, right? Yeah. Just because it should be able to be easily understandable. You can do whatever you want within that construct, right? There's there's an immense freedom within within that framework to do a lot of really cool stuff, right? Like if they're trying to figure out what this thing is the whole time, they're gone. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because there's too many options right now. Yeah. I'm always like, they're not, they're not just picking me mm-hmm. and my thing. They're picking my thing instead of this other option that they have. Yes. Yes. Yep. So like, I've been on both sides of the whole thing, and and sometimes when you're hearing it, like you're 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 hearing a pitch, but you, you don't know that I already have like five that I'm really fucking hot on, right? Well, I know that I have a deal with this person, this talent that I need to get them in something, and like maybe your host isn't like the best decision. Like being able to sell someone on that format as fast as possible and get them to like it. Like I said, if you can, if you can turn it from a pitch session into like a working session, mm-hmm. there's buy-in, there's excitement. There's like, Oh, I totally get it. Because once somebody totally gets something, if literally I can see the whole show drop in front of me and it's solving problems and all these things, <laughs> all, it's just like the matrix is falling. Right. <laughs> Because like you just in one sentence you're so clear, and that allowed me. Now that personally allows me to mentally participate in this. Mm-hmm. Now I have stake in it, right? Whenever you walk into a pitch or you walk into a room, like your your job is to get everyone on your energy level, right? Because the thing that you want is for them to believe in what you're saying and want to participate in that, right? I know we had a call before we did this yeah. main recording. And you said um, every development can change in five moves. Yeah. And what does that mean? That means like everyone here knows, like whatever you walk into the room with is not what's going to be made. (laughs) No, we do do talk about this. It's like, I do think people get excited to speak to the producer and they don't realize it'll go to a producer or a production company, executives at the production company, to the many networks, to the executives there, to the board sometimes, to managers, like, your pitch goes everywhere. Yeah. I'm going to get back to that five moves thing. Because what it is, is like fight for the things that you really have, but also like know what your concessions are. Yes. Right? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like, do you just want your thing made? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I want my thing made. I, I want to put food on my table. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I want the gift of being able to like have an idea that goes out. Like that's the most incredible high ever. But like the thing is also knowing who you're pitching to. Sometimes you you can get so locked in that pitch that it becomes immovable and you get so like the blinders get on, mm-hmm. right? And just realize that like, if I'm pitching Vice, if I have a concept and I'm pitching Vice on this concept and I'm going into lifetime the next day, mm-hmm. what are the five moves that make it a Vice thing? What are the five moves that make it a lifetime thing? Because like, being able to be malleable around the core of your idea is a habit that if you can control, it's better because it's going to happen with itself. Yeah, right? absolutely. So like being able to like pivot and move and be malleable around the idea, around the core idea, like that's, that's a gift that keeps on giving because like if you can switch the move and make it a lifetime thing, make it a spike thing, make it an A&E thing, make it a vice thing. But without moving that core set, sometimes it's a host swap. Sometimes it's like 
two moves on the format. Sometimes it's like where it's located at. Sometimes it's like gamifying something, right? But it's just like, it's being able to work around this core idea. And it also helps you in the room because like, if someone has an idea, like on the executive side, mm-hmm. that they're sitting people, if you're already practiced and being malleable around the idea, you can instantly incorporate that in the room. Yeah. Like the people who get it done are people who can dev on their feet. You yeah. know what I mean? It's just like, they're not locked. It doesn't yeah. make it feel like lip service. Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah. they're bought in. Yeah. Well, and it goes from, like you said, it goes then from a pitch session to a development session or a working session with the executives. That's all you, that's like, that's the goal, right? Like yeah. that's like, get it out of a pitch as soon as possible. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I cannot tell you how many pitches I've get that are identical to something I'm actually doing or just did. Right. Like educate yourself on the library of where you're going, because like then you're going to have to make those moves. You know, how do you feel like culinary plays a role in that? I mean, I think culinary is at an interesting place. Yeah. When you go to another country, you go to another place. The fastest way you can learn about a culture is through food. Yeah. The fastest way you can get anyone to drop their guard is over a plate of food. Absolutely. Serving them delicious. And I think that like. Food is a vehicle for a ton of other stuff, right? Like the recipe market is pretty hard right now just because like mm-hmm. it's everywhere. Like people on TikTok and that. So it's just like how are we exploring food in a way that like can we blur the lines? Now I'm going into future development. Like how does Colony play in that? But I, food is connectivity at its purest and best form to answer the question, right? And that, that association people have with it because like, Food is that one art form that you can see, hear, taste, smell, mm-hmm. right? Like it actually enacts all the senses and it it can transport you. It can be a time travel device. It can bring up memory. It can do all these crazy things. The pitches that I really, really love, they're bringing something to light that's just like, oh, wow, like we don't occupy this. And it's in the tone and the realm and the creative, what we do as network, as, as, as the brand, as all this, like this hits in the wheelhouse. Someone just threw me a pitch the other day and it was like the culmination of like two or three of the most successful things we've done mm. in a brand new package that felt completely different. Mm. And as the person who's in this brand and knows it in and out and everything that we're doing and all the knowledge of what we're doing, immediately that went, oh my God. It just solved so many things, but also like created a space that I didn't even know existed. Mm, hmm. Still, still everything. <laughs> That's the magic, right? When you're solving problems for people they didn't even know they had, yeah. right? Yeah. It's using every bit to just say like, hey, you know what? Like I see your network. I see them occupying this space. And I know that the three most successful shows that they have are in this realm. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, tell where they're debbing from but they're missing this one pocket mm. that's actually massive for them i'm just like hey like let's let's write this show and you shouldn't be relying on that one pitch that one dev thing like no. have like five, six, no. yeah if you can't sit on an idea for 10 years give yourself a deadline put it out fell at it and get better at it yeah move on yeah. to the next thing like you have to trust yourself you have to trust your creative process and you have to embrace this possibility of failure, this possibility of changing. It's so necessary in this field. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people get so hung up on like, I have this great idea. I have this one idea. It's like everyone does. Everyone does. (laughs) It's not enough. And if you're in this game long enough and other people, you know, you've Cliff, you've been in this April, you've been in this, I've been in this for a long time. You'll meet people and you'll start seeing pictures of people who are just getting into food or just getting into travel or just something like this. And you'll see ideas and be like, I've seen this idea or some take of this idea a dozen times. Yeah. I've written this. I also thought I was clever or cute <laughs> in this idea. Not in a bad way. Like it's 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 no, no it's no thing to you. It's just like you just the the longer you're in the game, the more pitches you see, and you just go like, How are we moving this forward? What are we going to do differently? And yeah. and what's the package you're putting together? What is the talent? What's what's the the style? Who's your DP? Who's the producer on it? Like, how are you making it feel unique? 
because what there's four or five base formats and you're just sort of variations on a theme, but those variations have to hit in a certain way at a certain time for it to become a reality. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's like the great part of the way you're saying too, is like knowing your references. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. Like knowing, knowing the history of things just because like, everyone in the room kind of knows it. Yeah. So you yeah. should probably be aware of it too. Like I've gotten pitches on stuff where I'm just like, oh my God, I own the rights to that title. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I actually own that. Well, nothing is worse is then coming up with an idea and you're like, I am a genius. And then you do one cursory web search and you're like, this show exists. This show yes. exists. This show exists. I mean, I've, I've, I've thought I was a genius so many times and I've been proved wrong pretty much every <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, like I think the general consensus is become familiar with your networks. Yeah. If you yeah. can get your hands on mandates, look at look at network or company mandates, what people are really looking for, what genres yeah. they want. Yeah, hit up every friend you have that gets a coverage report. We all know that like failure and rejection is is the name of the game here, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you're going to pitch, most of the stuff is not going to make it. Like yep. just be real about. It. And I learned this pretty late, and I think it made me 10 times better. If you can step away and do that other thing that you also do and succeed at that or have a win at that, you can come back to this thing and you can hit it again even harder. Mm. So like yeah. I have all these other things that I do. It gives me that confidence to come back after something that didn't work out. Refuel. And go at it again. Yeah. Managing confidence in this industry when you are a person who's bringing creative forward is an undertone that like, you need to like really get a hold of, right? Yeah. Yes. It's like being yes. able to keep your head up is like a fucking understatement. Yeah. I mean, it's, it can be vicious and cause it could also be yeah petty. And there are people who can like really just say no to your idea. Cause they just want to say no to you. Yeah. And it's like, sometimes you need to go walk in the woods, ride the bike, hit a tennis ball to really reset the creative and production mindset. And then you come back and you go like, oh, I did solve that problem when I was just, you know, making jam. Yeah. But that's not that's not how it's perceived these days of where you need that space to really create and produce. Time yeah. is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Yeah. So it's just make a new personal best when you step away. Have a fucking personal win. Because when you step back, like confidence and believing in yourself and being happy with something that you did knows no line right mm -hmm. and so yeah like it helps you separate out the work thing but also like come back at it with more confidence and energy to do it again i'm not gonna lie to you guys you guys know i'm doing like the renovation of my house slowly but surely yeah putting in that goddamn toilet i put in a toilet Perfect. for myself and that was one of the most rewarding things I've done this year. I was so proud of myself. I mean, you should be. <laughs> You're only a culmination of overcoming your failures, right? Mm. And so that's the path to success, right? Like success doesn't come without dropping the ball a million times. I really love my job right now. Mm. I get to have my hands in a lot of pots and I get to be surrounded by incredibly passionate people. And I make stuff that I actually really, really believe in because I've made some shit that I have not believed in. Um, I know nothing about that. <laughs> no one does. <laughs> no one. Ever, no. I've loved every show I've ever worked on. Every project I've ever done. Every so frame, cool. print it, put it in a museum. We'll all go. We'll see your exhibit and my exhibit. I've never done a show just for a paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> I've never needed a shower after a shoot day. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> we, did, we did that. Um, How did you officially make the jump from producer to network executive? Um, this is the worst answer ever. It kind of just naturally happened. Why is it the worst? Because it's just like everyone's, everyone want like, the thing is, I'm not giving you that great soundbite, right? Like, I'm not giving you that thing, but it's just like. Such a producer. <laughs> I think so many people think that it is a perfect soundbite. I think you sort of hit it where yeah. it is not this like, oh, well, you know, I, I, I worked on the show and then I got the tap on the shoulder and there I was like. It's not that fluid through line of how you make the jump. No, it's just like, and it's going to be different for everybody. It's just like, yeah, there are some things happening that I was kind of like uniquely qualified to speak about or experience wise. It wasn't like an overnight thing and it's still happening, right? I'm still in the middle of it. 
for me, it's a very slow shift. Like I didn't get, I wasn't called up from the minors one day and be like, <laughs> you're in the big leagues, kid. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, I guess mentally it's, it was just about thinking about a brand as a whole other than over individual shows. But like, it's a transition that just started happening. Like it's all kind of like bleeding together. Mm-hmm. The great thing about that too, is like you said, you're still evolving. You're still learning. It's still happening. I think what we also wanted to show, and I'm sure you get this question too, is just a lot of entertainment is not overnight success. It is not a flash in the pan idea. It is not this one-off. It is not this bright burst. No. It is that malleable adjustment, yeah. like constantly evolving thing that you were talking about earlier in every aspect of this industry. So I think that was the perfect answer because it is just a process that continues for us. Yeah. And it's like, it's also just like, I cannot tell you how many times I wanted to quit. Mm. And but you kept showing this, up. Huh? You kept showing up. You kept showing up every just keep day. showing up. Like the thing is, it's like, it's about that thing. Like you just like, you wake up and you keep doing it or you quit. And it's just like, is this the thing you really want to do? Because this is hard. Really hard. And you want to so have hard. to do it. And the thing is, is like, the one guarantee that I can tell you about like my past and my career and my path is like, there was no one event that kicked it all off, right? Yeah. It was like a culmination of things. Like, and it was about keeping showing up, keeping pushing forward. Like, yeah, exactly you said, it's not overnight. Being able to think of something that you really think is cool and are really passionate about it and other people think that too, enough where it gets made. Yeah. I don't know, like maybe that's too small, but like that is so successful. And I can tell you the place of success I'm really working to right now. I guess it's a weird thing, but you're where you're like not as needed. Mm. Where the people around you are like firing on all cylinders and like coming up with stuff that's probably like could be better than the stuff that you're thinking or better solutions and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Like I don't hold on to stuff anymore like I used to. And it's mm. just not like mine, 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 mine. Needs- and I feel like that was wildly freeing and actually maybe better my job and easier to work with and like more brought in more opportunities. Like when you start looking around you and just being like, if that person succeeds, like I, that means I'm like succeeding. Like that's success. So we have a little yeah. segment that we like to call a little takeaway, which are just some fun rapid fire questions. You don't have to think about the answer so much. This is just something that brings a little levity to the podcast and gives us just like some fun peeks into who you are. Darren, would you like to kick it off? What is something seemingly small or silly that makes you ridiculously happy? Spam. Spam? Not emails, <laughs> but the actual canned food spam. Um, what are some of your favorite restaurants in the world? Oh, my God. Uh, Keep it to three, because I know you got them everywhere. Tomasitas in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Asador Exibiti in the northern part of Spain, just because I'm trying to like group that whole area because that's just like my favorite place to ever eat ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Shit, man. 7-Eleven in Japan. <laughs> Those sandwiches don't knock them. It's just like mind blowing. Like it really just taught me something about life that was bigger than the restaurant. Mm. I love that. That's it. What is one kitchen item that you can't live without? Uh, Japanese mandolin. What is your drink of choice? I don't know. I quit drinking a while ago. Mm. So... So kombucha? Kombucha? Oh, okay. No, if it's it's one, there's this thing called Liars, L-Y-R-E-S, these little canned little things that they make, these little canned non-alcoholic cocktails. I have like 20 of them in the next room. But yeah, it was like, <laughs> that's my shit. Um, what is a never fail to impress recipe that everyone should know how to make? It's not a recipe. It's proper seasoning and acidity. Like oh. that's it. Cooking professionally, working with tons of chefs, like that's the difference, right? Seasoning and a bit of acidity. Mm. Who would we find on your dinner party playlist? That Miley Cyrus song, like, put your hands up to play in my song. That one. Part of the USA. Such a banger and it's so good. That's very unexpected. It's such a jam. It's like, it just like, it makes you feel good. I mean, I even got trouble for playing it really loud in the office one day. Cause I was like, everybody needs a break. And then it's like, I just turned that song. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. What is the ultimate comfort food? My mom's udon noodles. 
because it's like it's it's like this pure immigrant dish where she makes it with spaghetti noodles and it just became its own thing because when she moved to the United States, all the ingredients weren't available. Mm. And so she had to like make all these substitutions. It's a perfect thing that like immediately grounds you, immediately makes me feel okay. Mm. Yeah. What is something that people would be surprised to know about you? That I sell Navajo rugs on the side. Hmm. Yeah. My mom was the principal of the Santa Fe Indian School. She worked there for like 40 years. My my dad also worked there for 40 years. So I spent a lot of time on reservations and I collect a lot of like Southwestern native things. Hmm. You always had great jewelry on set. I do remember that. I mean, my mom was a turquoise dealer in the 70s. Yep. So I remember that. Um yeah, I think I think maybe that's always a surprising thing. I I honestly, I adored you already, um, but like spending this time with you, I realized I could actually just do a series of interviews with you because I love talking to you so much. Jesus. Wow. That's so intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great. We gave you, I gave you all the best and I have nothing left. <laughs> no, I highly doubt that. We, we can't thank you enough and thank you for sharing your journey as well and for showing us that it's not just one level up after level up after level up that it is a real journey and and a lot of points of of learning and self-reflection and and motivation but you just keep showing up it's a great piece of advice no thank you for having me thank you for letting us have a moment this episode is brought to you by roberta's home of heritage radio network for 10 years roberta's was founded in bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Wow. Cliff, I could talk to him all, all day. Yeah, I mean, do I, need a, do I need a redo of my career? I feel like <laughs> even though his path wasn't straight, I feel like it worked out. I mean, like he got to where he wanted to go. Yeah, but he said he's still learning and I love that so much because yeah. the good news is it's a constantly evolving process, the good and bad news. <laughs> There's no plateau, guys. You're still learning. It's the ebb and the flow and and just being open to that up and down. Um, and it's something that, you know, I've talked to you about where I've been in the down part and be like, what does it all mean? And then the up comes and, and he's a great example of of the up. The up, the down, and all around. I love that he's done so many things. And I love that his curiosity has driven him. I love that he's taken positions paid and unpaid. Like he really just looked at what he liked. And I think what he continuously said was, I like to problem solve. I want to be remembered. Mm -hmm. Like really searching for that humanity in a well-oiled machine of business. And I think that a lot of the things he discussed today we're really clear on how to do that. Yeah, I think he also makes a good point to have a hobby, to have a life outside of this dev work and network life, because I think it just gives you perspective. And I think it also allows you to find other ideas or look in different places that aren't just the job. Yeah. And um, you just have different experiences and you just take all the experiences and you bring it to your work that you can lean into. I think if we were to like summarize it, um, don't give up, show up, do the work, steal everything, research the rooms that you want to be in and be prepared to like 
hold yourself up to the light and say, you know what you have to give. And um, don't be afraid to try stuff, to get into a room or put an idea together that you're not 100% sure of if you've done the work and you've, you believe in it and you put your best foot forward, you might learn something from it that you can take with you to the next job or the next gig or the next idea or the next show. As we've said many times, there are many jobs that are not on our resume, but we've learned from in some way. <laughs> yeah. I got something from in some oh, yeah. way. There is no failure. Even if it feels like it in the moment, this is such a strange and windy path and such a fun and windy path. And, uh, I don't know, man. I'm excited to see what more people come up with. I hope people connect with Cliff. Certainly, write into us if you guys want to discuss any ideas. Mm -hmm. We love the idea that we can connect more folks and hopefully inspire more folks to get out there. Just try this out. Food is the perfect medium, and that's why we've stayed here for so long. 100%. It's a great base, and if you find a new way to look at it, and whether that's food and clothing, food and science, food and the movies, food and food and family, food and love, food and family, food and love. No. You know, f- find a way, find a way to create something to fill that hole. Stop saying fill that hole, Darren. It is such a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Anyway, yeah. Forever shout out to Bobby Flay and a huge thank you to Heritage Radio Network for partnering with us. Huge thank you. And uh, please go wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribe, review us, ask us some questions. We like interacting with folks. And if you missed any of the episodes, they're all up and available for free wherever you stream podcasts. All right. So tune in, share your stories, and feel free to add your name to the culinary call sheet. Yeah. We did it. Bye. Bye. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.